you need to cut the fat. You need to hire or identify your best decision makers and operators. You need to rotate out of technology-backed services behavior where you are acting in this inefficient, non-repeatable, unscalable way. And you need to optimize your ways of working and you need to deliver productized value fast. You can no longer tolerate this mess that you're operating in because if you operate very well, you will have a down round. And if you operate poorly, you will die. You need to get your shit together. You're listening to The Startup Podcast, a show focused on helping you build, run, and invest in Silicon Valley-style startups. Whether you're an investor, founder, or operator in a startup, you'll gain insights on the principles that power high-growth disruption the way Facebook, Google, and Uber do it. The conversation starts now. Hey, I'm Chris. I've been building products and startups for over 20 years, including 10 years in venture-backed companies in Silicon Valley. I'm now helping a small handful of startups avoid landmines and dead ends to fast forward to the best high-growth outcomes as quickly as possible. And I'm Yaneb, a software engineer, operator, coach, advisor, investor, and people geek. I have worked at Google and a number of scale-ups and am now co-founder at Circular, a high-growth startup. And our job on this show is to guide you through the unique mindset and approach that drives Silicon Valley-style disruption at scale. And in this episode, we're going to discuss the market correction, or crash, or apocalypse, or end of world. So most of our episodes, we tend to go for evergreen content where it doesn't really matter when we're recording it. But now it's late May 2022, and a lot has changed in terms of economic sentiment. And we wanted to dive in and talk a bit about that. It would seem, if you read the headlines, that the world is ending. And then if you read VC, influencer, Twitter, that you and your startup have to fundamentally change the way you're doing things. Is that correct, Chris? <laughs> it might be correct. So let, we'll figure it out by the end of this episode. Like, let's talk a little bit about what's been happening over the last, let's call it two years, two and a half years. There was a little thing that you might've heard about it called COVID, which threatened to completely crater the economy and life as we know it. And it sort of did that for a moment there. The Federal Reserve in the US decided to start printing just crap tons of money. What was that 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 meme? The, the money printer go burr. Uh, and there's just like the greenbacks, US dollars just pumping into the to the global economy. And of course, it is the reserve economy of the world. And there were at the time fears of massive inflation. And we were being assured that no, 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 any inflation will be transitory, it's all gonna be fine. But of course, what happened was a massive asset bubble. We saw portfolios of private and public stocks, crypto growing many, many times their original values. Some of that felt justified because there was a rotation into what they called stay-at-home stocks, tech stocks, Netflix and Peloton and Zoom and so on. But it definitely got overbought and went to crazy high levels. So what's happening now as the economy opens up, as the money printer slows down, as inflation is clearly not transitory and has gone upwards of 7 or 8% by some recent records up from in the US somewhere around 1.2, 1.8, annual inflation in the US. People are freaking out. They're seeing just massive value destruction in their personal portfolios and across asset classes. And so of course, investors Private investors, VCs, are sending out notes to all of their uh, portfolio companies saying, cut costs, extend your runway, valuations are going to be decimated, you will not be able to raise your next round, you need to batten down the hatches and slow everything down. 
the thing is, this has happened before. It's happened multiple times before. The US li really lives in these bubble cycles of big growth and big corrections. And the kind of the economy is optimized for that. It's optimized for this kind of up and down cycle. And I know myself, I've lived through at least one of these cycles. I remember there was a post from Sequoia, really one of the top VCs in the world. They famously published this headline saying, RIP good times. This was something like five or seven years ago. And every five or seven years, there is one of these massive downturns and people go, oh my God, the world is ending. Everything's over. Stop everything and batten down the hatches. Now, I think part of this is because there was a moment in time back in 2001 where the world actually did end for tech. There was the dot-com bubble where there was a whole bunch of companies spending an enormous amount of money to just stand up a bunch of servers and attract a bunch of eyeballs with no business model, no product, no growth, no revenue. And ultimately, we're IPOing with nothing but a hope and a dream and a wing and a prayer. And there was a real and significant market correction. And it feels like we are living in a perpetual state of PTSD from that event. But of course, the world has moved on. There are real companies serving real users with real business models, delivering real value. All of the dreams and hopes and prayers of the dot-com in one way, shape or form are actually real now. And the economy is powered by tech. So we're in a very different time and people looking back at those times with a little bit of fear, uncertainty and doubt need to temper some of that. You have a I wouldn't call it quite a contrarian position, but you're on the, the optimist side of this. I, I think one of the things you hear in the debate in this community is, is this more like 2001 or more like 2008? And the shorthand for that is really, are we seeing something where we have tech fundamentally walking off a cliff and going to take many years to recover, which is what happened in 2001? In 2008, there was a broader financial shock that affected tech for probably six to 12 months and then everything was fine again. Because to your point, Chris, there was fundamentally still value in tech and the recovery therefore was pretty quick. So I think it's, it's really interesting. Markets are so heavily driven by sentiment and what's happened in the last month is fascinating because in a very real sense, the world now is no different than the world a month ago. And you can point to things like, oh, there was a war in Ukraine. That's true. You can point to those inflation numbers. You can point to the fact that the Federal Reserve in the US has announced an aggressive schedule of interest rate hikes, but actually nothing's really changed except for people's sentiments. And what's changed with people's sentiments is exactly what you said, Chris, is that there was a huge amount of cheap money. When you talk about printing money and quantitative easing, it's basically about saying that the supply of money is expanding. Interest rates are very low, and so there's all this money that needs to find a home. And when money needs to find a home, then that leads to asset price bubbles and ultimately, in combination with supply shocks that we've had recently, leads to inflation. So it is simply the fact that money's getting a little bit less cheap, which was an entirely predictable thing, actually. But simply the reality that it was starting to happen has freaked out a bunch of investors and caused some major corrections in the market. So far, so good, but the risk here, and this is where I guess I'd like to challenge the, it's going to be fine prediction is that 
you get a lot of self-fulfilling prophecies when things are about sentiment. There is still plenty of VC money around. There's still plenty of real businesses that in tech especially are providing real value in the world. But if everybody's cutting costs, if everybody's laying people off, if everybody's spending less, if all the investors stop funding tech companies, then you start to end up in a situation if that seizes up, if the, the mechanisms of the market seize up, then you can end up with a very difficult situation. And when I talk about self-fulfilling prophecy, it's exactly all of these letters from VCs are suddenly freaking out and saying, oh, you have to have lots of runway and you may not be investable anymore. And you hear stories of term sheets being pulled. You hear stories of capital calls failing. So capital calls when the VCs actually ask their investors for money because they don't actually take all the money up front. So when the mechanism seizes up, you can get a very real impact that's driven primarily by sentiment rather than any underlying fundamentals. And I, I think what's not clear yet is whether that's going to happen. Absolutely. The market is absolutely driven by sentiment in the short term. There's a, I think it's a Warren Buffett quote that says in the short term, the stock market is a voting machine in the long term, it's a weighing machine. And so, yeah, in the very short term, it's driven by sentiment. However, I want to follow on from two key phrases you said there. The first is you said money needs to find a home. That's still true. And there is enormous, absolutely enormous amounts of capital sitting on the sidelines right now, more than really maybe ever in the history of mankind. That money will still need to find a home in the short term. There are these fund managers who can't just be sitting on their hands for the next one, two, three, four years. They need to deploy that capital and they need to deploy it somewhere. That's number one. And, and sentiment shifts very quickly. So the, the companies that lost 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% of their value in the last few months. And by the way, that's off comparables from massive inflations during COVID. So these in many cases are back to around or a little below where they were just before the COVID bubble. And based on numbers that are back to or a little below the growth numbers of before COVID. So these are deceptive numbers because they're very inflated comparables. But as soon as these numbers start to flatten out a little bit and the comparables start to look a little bit better from the previous cycle, sentiment will shift very quickly. And we're talking about a quarter or two quarters. And I, I believe, and I've been you know, really watching this very closely, I'm, I'm down massively on my crypto and, and US tech stock portfolio. So I'm watching this very closely. The, th the only problem right now is that these people managing other people's money don't want to be responsible for massive losses. But the people who are managing their own money are like, hell yeah, man, I'm buying in. And as soon as these fund managers decide this is basically the bottom, we need to now go deploy this capital and earn our way. They're going to very quickly start deploying back into public stocks and crypto and, and their LP commitments and so on faster than I think we can possibly imagine. But the other thing you said, Yanev, that I want to pick up on is you said, these companies still have real value despite their cratering valuations. I would be even more bullish than that. I would say in a downturn, they have increased value because tech companies are all about efficiencies through automation and through first principles thinking, through new business models. And so companies that historically during a big upturn where there's just money going around coming out of the walls, you don't have to, as a company, as a user, as a person, you don't have to switch to the smarter, better, cheaper, more efficient tech solution. 
you can just keep throwing bodies at the problem. And the tech solution is a nice to have. When there's a massive downturn, you need to start laying people off and need to start replacing them with automation, with tech, with efficiencies. And so these companies don't just retain their value, they expand and grow their value in a downturn. And you'll notice if you take a look carefully at history, some of the most important tech companies today were born in recessions. Amazon comes to mind, Uber, Airbnb, and many more. And so this is really an opportunity for startup founders, not a risk. If you have capital today and you are able to deploy that capital efficiently, maybe more efficiently than you would have pre-downturn, but not, not freezing everything, you will come out of this far better than you would have in an upturn, I think. So there are a few things to unpack that. First of all, there's a saying, fortunes are made in a downturn and realized in an upturn. So completely right. It's, it's nearly like you've got this fire that's burning underground. You can build your startup. You can build value. You can grow market share. You can hire the best people. And it's all during this doom and gloom. And then when you do finally get the wind on your back, when the economic situation improves, you are so powerfully positioned to grow in every way. So that is, is absolutely true. It's a good time to be building a startup, but I also think we should break down two chilling effects that potentially hit a startup in general, software increases efficiency. And it is in that sense, counter cyclical when people are looking to save money, then often that migration to tech is important. It does sort of depend on your product, right? Like with anything, if your product is more of a luxury item, because not all tech startups are about saving money. If you're more of a luxury item, then definitely you're going to be more exposed. So that's worth considering. I think we talked in the past about, are you a painkiller or are you a vitamin? And, and being a painkiller is always better. It's probably even more of an important distinction now. Do you solve a real problem for people? Do you fall into a type of non-discretionary spend for them? If so, you're in a very strong position. If you're a kind of fun, nice to have thing, you may want to consider, is that the best positioning for your product right now? And, and might you want to revise your strategy? The other piece, and I already mentioned this, but I think now I'd like to dig a bit deeper into it, is the capital raising side of the market. And this is where a lot of these think pieces <laughs> have been coming out around extend your runway and this and that. We have lived through an environment the last few years where money is very cheap, where startup valuations have been quite heavily inflated. It's been happy days, right? It's been easy to raise money, relatively speaking. I know it's never actually easy and it's been easy to raise fairly large amounts of money. That is changing. It may or may not stay changed, but what generally happens when there is a contraction or a retraction in investor sentiment is you have what's sometimes called a flight to quality. Uh, this happens in, in all sorts of markets, not just in the venture capital market. You see it in housing markets, for example, where in a, in an up market, every house sells for a ridiculous price in a down market. It's only the good houses on the good streets and so on. And so the same thing happens to investors where there's less of this heat where you're like, we just have to get into every company because we have so much money and all the valuations are going up and we look like a genius, no matter what we invest in, because it's going to be five, 10 X evaluation next year. Now they're slowing down. This is the investors. They're stopping their thinking. They're actually looking at the fundamentals for want of a better term. Is this a good company? Will it be successful? 
is it well-managed? Does it have good economics? They'll poke and prod, they'll do more due diligence. So more than ever now, the money is, it's definitely still available now. And, and I agree with you, Chris, I think it's likely to remain available unless things get really grim, which I don't think will happen. But the level of difficulty goes up in a flight to quality. You need to prove that you are quality. So all of that advice that we were giving in how to fundraise, it becomes even more important to position yourself and to not just position yourself, but to genuinely be quality. That maybe is a good segue to some of those things around discipline and operational efficiency internally that you can and should be doing that is perhaps a bit easier to overlook in a boom time that becomes important and sensible to do in a downtime. I really love downturns. I love this flight to quality. I love this emphasis on efficiency and effectiveness and clarity of, of decision-making because in a sense, that's what I talk about 24, seven, seven days a week. And it's really the work that I do every day. It's how do we make fewer, better, smarter decisions and execute them with less energy and more competency. So when you talk about a flight to quality, uh, Yanev, I couldn't agree more. And I would say you need to have a flight to quality within your own company. You need to double down on your high quality people and you need to double down on your high quality decision-making and processes, and you need to double down on your high quality products and put aside people who are doing a lot of busy work, but are actually producing results or, or eliminate processes that are bureaucratic or ineffective and put to bed projects of the kind we've been talking about throughout some of the previous episodes, whereby you're doing this one-off services style work for one-off services style revenue and optimize for repeatable self-serve products. And yes, certainly you might want to trim some staff, trim some projects. But do not get rid of the smartest, most effective people. Do not get rid of or underinvest in the most productive products and go to market strategies. In fact, the opposite. If there is in fact going to be a great shedding of employees from some of these tech companies, salaries should go down. Competitiveness to acquire people should go down. Competitiveness for some capital might even go down. So use this as an opportunity to very strategically bring in better people with perhaps slightly lower salary expectations, invest in that improvement of your business. And if you do that, I think if you invest in polish, if you invest in automation, if you invest in efficiency, if you invest in solving real problems, which by the way, you should be doing all the time. <laughs> And if you pitch that to your customers, if you're a B2B business in particular, and you're telling them, we are a solution for a more polished, more automated, more efficient, lower cost solution to the thing you're doing already, then both you and your customers will come out of this in a much, much stronger position. Even while some of your competitors may have run out of capital, run out of steam, run out of momentum and uh, gone by the wayside. So these are enormously clarifying and exciting times. And for the people who listen to this podcast, I'd like to think our audience are the ones who are paying the most attention and are tuned into the right ideas. You guys should get really fired up about this. Not frozen in place, fired up. And I've seen some signals of people getting frozen instead of fired up. And, uh, and that's, I guess, my message for this episode is get fired up, get focused, and execute for your lives. 
Absolutely. And if we were to summarize that in a single sentence, it's get your shit together. This is the perfect time to re-listen to our back catalog of podcasts and, and make sure that we understand our customers, that we're relentlessly focused on efficiently proving out hypotheses, delivering customer value, iterating quickly, being lean and efficient, all of that stuff. It was always a good idea. As you said, Chris, companies that have their shit together will do well. The ones who do not will feel a lot of pain. Now, there is a specific kind of company who may be in a little bit more trouble than the others, which are the companies that have raised crap loads of money and who have spent the first part of their runway massively scaling their workforce and massively underperforming in terms of their delivery of value to market and are going to run into a wall or potentially a massive down round. I'd say a lot of what we've said already applies to those companies, but with more urgency. You need to cut the fat. You need to hire or identify your best decision makers and operators. You need to rotate out of technology-backed services behavior where you are acting in this inefficient, non-repeatable, unscalable way. And you need to optimize your ways of working and you need to deliver productized value fast. You can no longer tolerate this mess that you're operating in because if you operate very well, you will have a down round. And if you operate poorly, you will die. You need to get your shit together. I would say that is more urgent than ever for these companies who've raised money despite their operational inefficiencies. Now, another piece that gets mentioned quite a bit that I think is worth talking about is balance sheet economics, where there is a movement away from growth as the be all end all North star metric to something more like cash flow or unit economics. I think that can certainly be over egged. Ultimately startups are still about growth, but I think what becomes less appealing to investors in this type of market is fundamentally unprofitable growth that is driven by speculation or growth that is driven by effectively selling a dollar for 90 cents with the assumption that eventually you'll reach a level of scale that will allow you to become profitable. So on the one hand, you have things like crypto where again, there will definitely be a flight to quality there. I think a lot of the crypto projects that were more like speculative asset bubbles or even Ponzi schemes, honestly, they are already beginning to face their reckoning. And then you'll see the ones that provide genuine utility succeed. And in fact, succeed better because they won't have to compete with all the rubbish that's out there. Similarly, you're seeing a lot of these companies that had questionable economics starting to take a lot of pain. So for example, buy now, pay later was in a sense driven by very cheap debt and by a growing economy with easy access to credit so that consumers could use all of these things and the bad debts weren't too bad and the cost of funding wasn't too onerous. Now that some of those debts are going bad and the cost of funding is getting more expensive, buy now, pay later is taking a lot of pain. So some of these business models that always feel a bit like you're being gaslit in, in good times, you're like, it doesn't quite make sense, but everyone else seems to be liking it. And suddenly everyone's getting rich and it's growing a lot. Now people are actually looking at these things and going, oh, okay. It never really made that much sense. So now I'm going to pull out. Absolutely. All right. So one last thing I wanted to talk about before we maybe wrap up this episode is the question of runway. So runway is simply how many months do you have left until you run out of money? In the, the good times just a couple of months ago, you would have said 18 months runway. That's 
good enough. You raise the money, you do a whole lot of work, you spend that money quite quickly, then you just go back to the well and re-up the conventional wisdom coming out now during this period of downturn or uncertainty is you need to extend your runway, meaning you need to drop your burn rate, the amount of money you're losing each month. Now you're hearing investors say, oh, well, you really need to have 24 months runway, 30 months, 36 months. It might not be easy to raise again. So you really need to conserve cash and make sure that you don't have a business plan that assumes a subsequent raise anytime in the next few years. Chris, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So look, if you are near profitability and by trimming your business, improving some efficiencies, you can get yourself closer to break even and extend that runway, you should absolutely do it. However, what you should not do is freeze like a deer in headlights. In order to raise that next round, you need to deliver value. You need to deliver growth. You need to deliver unit economics. Otherwise, downturn or upturn, you are not going to be able to raise that next round. So really what we've been talking about through the whole episode is what you need to do. You need to find the line between effective execution and delivery of value and maximizing your runway within reason. And the other thing I've been saying throughout the whole episode is I do not fundamentally believe that capital has disappeared for 30 months. I believe the great companies are continuing to get invested in today and will continue to get invested in for the next 12 to 24 months. And what you need to do is make sure you're a great company with great people, great decision-making, great products, great delivery of value, great growth. And you need to do that as efficiently as possible. Whether you have six months left of runway or 12 months left of runway or 18 or 20 or 30 months left of runway, given that operating model, that's what you've got. Start creating relationships with investors, softening up the ground, telling your story. But it's not like the money has evaporated. It's not like the zombie apocalypse has started. So just do not freeze in place like a deer in headlights. It's interesting. The, the definition of runway is very much based on time. You have a certain number of months worth of runway, but you nailed it when you talk about efficiency or, or capital efficiency. And in a startup, efficiency has a very particular meaning, which is how quickly can you get the business into a strong position? Instead of measuring it per month, you should really be measuring it per dollar. So what you might've been saying is, okay, in the past, we raise a lot of money and we just piss it against the wall a little bit. We don't focus on efficiency. You know, there's a whole book called blitz scaling where the principle is focus more on hyper growth than on efficient spending of that capital. In uptimes, it's easy for everyone to be a little bit of a blitz scaler. Okay, now's not the time to be doing that. You've got your money, you want to get the most out of it, but getting the most out of it does not mean making it last as long as possible. To your point, Chris, if you're burning slowly and you're just basically bleeding out because you're not getting the learning, the growth, the whatever it is that you need to establish your business at that next rung of its evolution, then you are wasting money and you're better off moving faster uh, and spending more money if it gets you those learnings faster, if it gets you that growth faster. Efficiency is, is absolutely the key word there. Now, look, it's very hard for anyone to predict the future of markets because if you can predict the future of markets, then you can get extremely rich indeed. And nobody's very good at it. So part of the reason people say have all this runway in terms of time is a year from now, two years from now, it may be a bad time to raise. Now you, Chris, are saying if you're a good enough quality company, 
then it's never a bad time to raise. I'm inclined to agree with you, but I think there is a sense of, okay, if you have money in the bank, that's optionality. Until it's clear that everything's good, then you're better off just having a bunch of dry powder and saying, we're, we're not going to run out of money right now. We're not reliant on a venture capitalist coming in the next year or two to give us more money. And I think there is something to that argument, but I think it's secondary. And to your point, Chris, I think if you get distracted by some of these things, such that you spend less effort really trying to build your business and more obsessing about cash or timing, then that can be really dangerous. For me, the key takeaway here is that the things that are permanently or durably true in running a good startup are still true right now. You need to have focus. You need to have effective execution. And the decisions you need to make, believe it or not, don't fit in a fortune cookie where you have this really simple advice of extend your runway, grow at all costs, shed staff. Those are very easy to say, but there's actually an art to running a business well. All that advice is true, always true. Wisdom is knowing how and when to follow it. So surround yourself with great people, focus, execute well, and when you need money, go tell a killer story and raise that capital and raise it for a valuation that is fair, reasonable, and appropriate, and kick ass. Oh, yeah. So in this episode, we talked about what to do with your startup when the good times seem to have ended and there's a lot of doom and gloom around. We've talked about some of the causes for this May 2022 downturn, the printing of money, the quantitative easing, and then the sudden snapback in government policy around that. We've talked about the flight to quality and the necessity more than ever now of making sure that your startup is part of that quality segment and that there is always going to be funding available and customers available for a genuine quality product and business. And finally, we've talked about the idea that the last thing you want to do is freeze in place and take away some of the magic by trimming too many people, by not making good decisions, by not spending money where it actually makes a lot of sense to do so, just for the purpose of extending your runway, but actually what you're doing is you're jeopardizing the chance your business has of ever being successful. And as times get more difficult and this need for quality is even more important, we have had people reaching out to us asking if they can work with us directly and in more depth. For my part, I am pretty much working full-time on my startup. I'm not available for long-form consulting, but if there's something really interesting or I can add a lot of value over a shorter-term engagement, then I'd be happy to chat. But for Chris, his day job really is this in-depth helping of companies. He's very good at it. So if you're interested in working with Chris, you can check out info on what he does and how to work with him at chrissard.com advisory. We always love to hear from you. Send us a tweet. Chris is at Chris Saad. I'm at Y Bernstein. Please share your thoughts about this episode and suggest topics for future episodes. And as always, we love it if you follow us on your favorite podcast app, leave a rating, leave a written review. It really helps other people find us and it puts a bit of a pep in our step. That would be much appreciated. All right, Chris, it's been great talking. Have a good one. Catch you in the next episode. Please do subscribe, rate us on social. Oh, damn it. Try again. Send us a tweet. Chris is at Chris Saad. I'm at Y Bernstein. Let us know thoughts and topics for the next. Fuck. Okay. This is like a blooper reel. This time for sure. I'm going to put this at the end of the episode. That's fine. I, I like a good blooper reel.